Um, well, my name's Clive Holes, and I spend large parts of my time teaching modern standard Arabic to graduates and undergraduate students. But uh, in my spare time, such as it is, um, I do research on something called popular literature, one of the things I do research on, and that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. So, politics and popular poetry in the Arab world. Tony Blair as Bambi and Margaret Thatcher as the Tory Dactyl were two of Gerald Scarfe's most memorable comic cartoons. Scarfe's talent was somehow to distill in a few bold, often cruel strokes of his pen some essential quality of his victim. In the Arab world, by contrast, the weapon of choice for satirists has more often than not been verse. This is a tradition at least 13 centuries old. But in the last 100 years, and especially the last 50, poetry in the Arab world has been reinvented as a vehicle for voicing political dissent that might otherwise struggle to be heard in the tightly controlled media of the Middle East. I'm not talking here about poets who write in the classical tradition for a cultural elite, but something altogether more grassroots. Poetry composed and performed in the vivid, muscular idiom of the inner city slum, the refugee camp, and the Bedouin half. That is Arabic popular poetry. Being a popular poet is never the day job. That can be anything from supermarket owner to night watchman to housewife. And my research collaborator and I have collected poems from all three of these and plenty more besides. Quite ordinary people who have the talent, and very many have, think nothing of composing a poem about an issue that is bothering them in the way we might dash off a letter to the editor of a newspaper. The popular poem is often ephemeral, but it is almost always a communal rather than an individual voice and provides a rich source of gauging the reactions of ordinary people to the events that impact on them. In the time I have, I'll share with you some examples of the kind of poetry I'm talking about and tell you a bit about why I think it's worth studying and translating. We often hear Western political commentators talking glibly about the, the opinion of the, quote, Arab street on such issues as the American-led invasion of Iraq, though in 40 years I have yet to meet one who knew enough Arabic to be able to understand it, and I include Robert Fisk. The quotations in what follows will be from my own English translations. By making them rhyme and scan, I try to give an impression, however dim, of the, of the auditory impact of the originals on an Arab listener. Of how many countries can it be said that writing poetry can get you exiled or land you in prison? This has happened to at least two Arab popular poets in recent history. One of them, Mahmoud Bayram at Tunisi, was thrown out of Egypt by its British colonial rulers because of what they saw as his subversive satires against them. Another, Ahmad Fouad Nigam, was repeatedly clapped in jail by both Abdel Nasser and Anwar Sadat for a stream of popular lampoons which circulated by mouth, cassette tape and fax and were pasted up on the walls of Egyptian university campuses. An incident in the 1970s will give you an idea of his style. In the middle of that decade, the Egyptian government was so hard up that at the time when the rest of the Arab world was enjoying the fruits of the oil boom, it introduced meat rationing and the average Egyptian was limited to a few ounces a week. The government tried to justify this through a media campaign claiming that eating meat was actually bad for you, physically and morally. Egyptian broad beans, it was solemnly said, were much better, and compliant government scientists were wheeled out to back up this dubious claim. Nigam, that's the poet's take on these events, in a poem entitled The Ballad of Beans and Meat, begins as follows. This is, I'm translating, obviously. Some bigwig in the government declared the other day, and Dr. Muhsin backed him up in what he had to say, 
that scientists have proved it's true. Broad beans will do you good. Eat beans, they say, and yet more beans. For your health's sake, you should. Egyptian beans especially are bursting with protein. No beans can touch these beans of ours. There's fat in them and lean. Eat beans and beans, you'll feel as if you've scoffed a joint of meat. Beans make you wind in sound and limb. They'll fatten you a treat. They're kind of sort of veggie meat. Kebabs are so passé. So eat your beans, dear citizens. Get high on beans today. <laughs> and add to that, said Dr. M, the medical concerns. It's proven meat's a poison which brings on dyspeptic turns. And even worse, research has shown meat-eating causes crime, creates light-fingered layabouts who don't clock in on time. So summing up, I'd have to say, meat-eaters one and all, you're heading for a sticky end in Satan's fiery thrall. <laughs> then Nigam concludes the poem in his own voice. But just a moment, Dr. M, you well-fed hypocrite. Your statements made officially are just official shit. They say the world needs brains like yours. Well, give us your best shot. If some madman, madman like me blurts out, eat meat and die, then what? You lot can eat your beans and live. That's fair, don't you agree? Don't try and pull the wool, my friend. Shove off and leave us be. <laughs> the poetic tradition, uh, tradition Nigam works in is an urban one. But alongside it, there is a thriving Bedouin tradition whose ho home is the deserts of Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and the Gulf states. My Jordanian colleague, Saeed Salman Abu Adra, and I have been working for the last three years on the work of five poets from Jordan and Sinai, covering their poetry from the Suez Crisis of 1956 to the American-led invasion of Iraq in 2003. The public reaction of ordinary Arabs to the invasion of Iraq, at least those we came into contact with when doing fieldwork in the region, was overwhelmingly negative. Whatever private reservations some of them may have had about Saddam Hussein and his regime. Many respected him as the one Arab leader in their lifetimes who had, quote, stood up to the Israelis and their American backers, daring to unleash his scud rockets on Israel during the first Gulf War of 1990. And many regarded Kuwait as an upstart state, an invention of the British Empire that had, that had had it coming for a long time. One of our Jordanian poets, Mohammed Fanatil al-Hajaya, composed half a dozen poems on the war as it unfolded. I will focus on a couple of them here. They show how, in the hands of a master of the genre, it's possible to take sideswipes at some of the key players without directly naming them. In the first, entitled Hey Condoleezza Rice, yeah Condoleezza Rice, the whole poem is put in the mouth of a triumphalist George Bush, um, hence the Texan style of my translation, which you're going to hear in a minute, who is depicted calling together his administration for a party in celebration of victory in Iraq. It begins as follows, and I apologise in advance for my appalling Texan accent. My mood's good, y'all, and my lips a smile is cracking. I'm really in high spirits, cause the bad guys we sent packing. Say, Powell, come here and fetch some liquor in a flagon. And Rumsfeld, get a florist. I ain't staying on the wagon. And hire a Rebec player from the Gulf where they like singing, where the desert Arabs uh, nod and to my every word they're clinging. Bring some gin with you all, and some whiskey and some beer. With good old Condoleezza, bring them all over here. Cause I'm gonna have a drink and I'm gonna raise a holler. Tell the Arabs up and dance. When I sing, they all will follow. If the folks in the States say, what is W's mission? Just tell them I am waging war on global terrorism. And so on. But the real target of the poem is not so much Bush, who would be regarded by all listeners as beyond the pale, but the Gulf Arab leaders who provided logistical support for his army. 
This is spelled out in particularly insulting fashion towards the end of the poem, as Bush addresses Condoleezza Rice, who is about to depart on a mission to the Gulf, and likens himself to an Arab horse. And tell the sons of Kahtan, if they want their fancy tickled, that if I'm the rotten stallion, they're the hairs on my testicles. And as for Bani Adnan, say my, ta my tail is their position. They're my cousins, true disciples, and who believe in my world vision. The sons of Kahtan are the Arabs of the south of the peninsula. The Bani Adnan, or the sons of Adnan, are those from the north. But he means the rulers of the Gulf Sheikdoms as a group. You can't get closer to me, Bush is saying genially to his Gulf supporters, than what you already are, the hairs on my testicles and the tail that covers my anus. In later poems in the series, as the war starts to go wrong, Bush turns on his Gulf allies. He says the following to Condoleezza Rice in an allusion to the refusal in the, uh, of, the Saudis, of the Saudis to allow American bases on Saudi soil and the backsliding of Kuwait in introducing democratic reforms. Even those who work for us, to whom we've paid big money, are like, are like a knife stuck in our back, and lees, that sure sucks, honey. They're one more burden on us when our burdens, they are legion. Reform their ways? No hope of that, and no hope for the region. So find us some replacements, lees, a gang that ain't contrary. The old one ain't no use no more. The situation's scary. Tell them that we're Bedou, lees, the Lone Star tribe from Texas. Our flagpole flies the stars and stripes. The good Lord, he protects us. We like to wear our cowboy hats and down a couple of beers. We rule the roost, because after all, the roost needs overseers. The lions of the world we are. We'll has handle all the pussies, and we'll defend our royal friends, Kings Faras and Fart Fussy. The burlesque derives much of its effect from the trope of transforming Bush, the ultimate ogre, into a Bedouin poet, speaking a Bedouin dialect, and doing all the things that the audience knows that Bedouin poets routinely do in poems of this type. Through Bush, the Bedouin poet, the real poet ventriloquizes the reactions of ordinary Arabs to what is happening in their part of the world. Whatever their qualities as poetry, these satires take the temperature of the times and chime in powerfully with a sentiment of that much-quoted Western oracle, the Arab street. That is perhaps why, in this case, the authorities and their security apparatus uh, hesitate to go after the poets. Perhaps I can cl conclude with an extract from another poem, this one dedicated to George Galloway. <laughs> Galloway is regarded in the UK as something of a joke, pilloried by the right-wing press for his support for unpopular causes and ridiculed for his appearance on Big Brother. But in the Arab world, he's lionised as the one British politician who has never minced his words in supporting the Palestinians and condemning Tony Blair's Iraq policy. This is the opening of the poem, which is about Galloway's victory for the, for the Respect Party in the 2005 British general election. A, a friend phoned from London and gave the glad news. Thank you, brave hero and son of the brave. That man of respect about whom you enthuse. Victory is his. People's hearts he's in enslaved. George the intrepid, the, that symbol of pluck. A falcon who circled above flocks of game. With a flap of his wings he rose up and up. Inscribed in the annals of honour his name. Unshakable attitudes freely proclaimed. He boldly set out and explained in his proof. When we heard you had won, there was joy unconfined. You're the torch that distinguishes falsehood from truth. In spite of your critics, you shone in the dark and ploughed on regardless, O George of good heart. Your cause was a noble one, path clearly marked, while the, their paths were murky with stumbles, false starts. Jackals who la lurk in a ca cave in a gorge is the true appellation of George Bush and Blair. If Britain still has such a one as you, George, of glory and pride, it can still claim a share.
Perhaps transforming the pot-bellied, cigar-smoking Glaswegian into a falcon hunting game birds in the desert is a bit of a stretch. But it's, <laughs> but it's all part of the fun of Arabic popular poetry. Thank you.